1: We uh, we use the term grace quite a lot, rightly so, uh, and and the reason we we always come back to understanding grace is because I think grace is one of those concepts that within the church is either misunderstood or more often even underestimated. You see, we've kind of reduced grace to a to a collection of catchphrases, right? The unmerited favor of God, the the un, the total forgiveness, the unconditional love and acceptance, or or that famous acrostic where. God's riches at Christ's expense. And, and while all that's true of grace, grace is is that, it's, it's much more than just that Jesus has offered us forgiveness and he's offered us a, a clean start. It's it's better understood to be a, the to see grace as being defined as the person of Jesus Christ. See, that's what Paul had in mind, I think, when he was writing to his friend Titus, and he he wrote in Titus chapter two and verse eleven that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. That grace of God was, was Jesus himself. And, and so really what we see is Jesus is the personification of grace. He's the expression of God's grace. It's who he is. And, and because of that, it's more than just that love and that forgiveness. Grace is also the power to live today. In fact, the verse goes on to say in verse 12, that it's grace that teaches us how to live right, how to live upright, uprightly, and how to live in, in a godly manner. It's, it's much more than just forgiveness. And you see, that's important because today you and I, we're always faced with a choice. The choice is, do you live according to the flesh or according to the spirit? That's, that's always the choice that we're faced with. It's sort of akin to the, the two trees back in the garden, and the flesh means living out of our own strength, our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own power, our own love, our own patience, our own kindness. And for some, they have a bit more than others, but for everyone, it's in limited supply. But the Spirit, the, the, the Holy Spirit himself that has been given to you and I, that's the grace of God, that's the power of God that we also have the opportunity to live from. And now we're living from his love. From his wisdom, from his kindness, from his goodness, his gentleness. And that's an unlimited supply there. And so that's what we're faced with. Which will we trust in? Who will we live from? Live out of the flesh or, or live out of the spirit. In fact, the, the the writer of Acts, Luke, when he when he opens up Acts chapter one, he refers back to, to his gospel, the gospel Luke, and he he writes to his friend, and he says, There I began, I told you what the work that Jesus began to do. The inference being that the book of Acts is the work that Jesus is continuing to do. And now he's gonna continue to do that work through you and I, his church. And so that's why we get together. That's why we we gather is to encourage and to support and to remind one another of this strength and of this power that we have, the life of Jesus Christ being expressed through you and I. And, And the reality is because of that, because we all share that same spirit, as that phrase goes, we are better together. We are stronger together. And that's what's so beautiful about the church. And, and that's the, the point that Paul's been trying to stress so far as we, we've just, you know, beginning in chapter 4 of Ephesians. That we're all one. We're united together. Now, we said that unity, though, doesn't mean certain things. It doesn't mean that we're all under one organization, right? It doesn't mean we all organize under one group of people, whether that be the pope or, or one person or a group of people. That's, that's not how it works. That, that's just too much power and too much responsibility on a small group of people. And so there's these local gatherings, local churches that we, we kind of gather together, but we're all part of one church, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. It, it doesn't refer to having the same beliefs all the time and, and that we believe everything all the, the, across the board, that there is room for, for different understanding and different interpretations. It doesn't mean that, that all interpretations are correct necessarily, but it doesn't mean that you have to only believe in a very narrow bandwidth, thankfully, because otherwise none of us would qualify because no one has perfect doctrine. And finally, it doesn't mean that we all act the same way. We don't all dress the same way. Unity does not guarantee uniformity. And that's what's so incredible. Unity, instead, what it speaks to is it speaks to our equality in Christ, that we're all equal value. Men, women, children, black, white, Asian, Indian, brown hair, black hair, blonde hair, red hair, even those with blue hair, You know who I'm talking about. We're all equal in value. We all have equal standing, and we all have equal access with God. And that's what's so beautiful about that. And that's what Paul was summarizing there in in the passage we just looked at previously in Ephesians, where he listed off these seven ones and four alls that we have, right? That we're one body with one spirit, with one hope, and one Lord, and one faith, and one calling. And one God, one God and Father, who is of, we're all from him. And he's over all of us, and he's through all of us, and he's in all of us. And so we see that that sameness driven over and over and over again is to remind us of the equality that we have in Jesus, that we all have access to the same spirit. And we kind of said that Paul, he could have borrowed the phrase of three musketeers if it was there at that time, that it's one for all and all for one. The Holy Spirit's been given to all of us, and he's in and through all of us. But the reality is, what's so important about this unity is that it's because of what Jesus has done. Again, as we saw in that video earlier this morning, it's not by following the rules like Nicodemus thought previously. It's not about trying to measure up and, and be good enough in some area. Instead, it's simply trusting what Christ has accomplished. And because he has accomplished it, because of what he's done, that's what where our equality is rooted in. So, so this equality, this unity that we have, isn't something that we now need to go and create. It's something that we protect. It's something that we live out of and live from. And we get to encourage one another. We get to support one another. And that's how we protect and encourage and live from that unity. But we need to understand is that unity doesn't exclude diversity. Instead, we have diversity within the unity. And because the unity is based on what Jesus has done, it's greater than any of the diversity that we have. And so that diversity allows diversity of thought. It allows diversity of opinion. It allows diversity of desires. And and, and so it doesn't mean we have to dress all the same and look all the same and, and even desire all the same. We have this diversity within the unity. And Paul's taught this in multiple ways throughout scripture. Often he used this, this image of a body. And, and he said, not all our feet and, and not all our hands and not all our ears and not all our, our eyes and not all our medial collateral ligaments, or the MCL for short, right? We're all part of one body, but we all are different and therefore have different roles, have different, have different functions in the body. Could you imagine the eye doing the work of the feet or the ears doing the work of the hands? it wouldn't work. They're meant for different things. And so we need to understand that unity and equality still allows for diversity, that equal value, but different function and even different form at times. And that's okay. And I think that's something that that our world doesn't fully understand and doesn't grasp. Because what I see happening is, is in the push for equality, we need to have sameness. And and I think this is more prevalent probably in that thinking when it comes to men and women. That in order for men and women to be equal, men and women must be the same, the thinking goes. And so what ends up happening is we try to make men more like women and women more like men, thinking that's the only way to bring equality around. But what happens is you lose the, the strength and the power of masculinity in men. And at the same time, you lose the strength and the power that's in the femininity of a woman. You see, really, the problem isn't masculinity in men or femininity in women. It's that there's not enough good masculinity in men. That that there's no real such thing as toxic masculinity in that what we call toxic masculinity isn't masculinity at all. Masculinity is good in the same way that femininity is good. And so we should, we should celebrate when men are men and women are women and then get to experience the beauty of seeing men and women come together and worship God and serve alongside each other. And so that's true of just in gender, but it's also true within the church. So in the church, all of us are equal in Christ. And then we have this diversity of, of expression of Christ living through us. That Jesus is going to live through me a little bit different than he's going to live through John. And he's going to live through John a little bit different than he's going to live through Sheila. And and through Sheila a little bit different than he's going to live through Peter. And that's wonderful and exciting. Because I don't know if I can take more of Christ through Peter through more people. (laughs) I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. And so we have this diversity. And so Paul now, after distressing the unity we have, he's now going to come into a section where he's going to talk about the, the diversity and what that looks like. And, and I want you to kind of look at this section that we're about to go into is, is almost like a blueprint. See, Paul talks about the building of, of the church, the, the, the body of Christ is as a building. And so you think about a building, a, bl- a building, it starts with a blueprint. There's a plane in place. And the section that Paul's going to look at now is essentially the blueprint that he has for the church in terms of how it's going to operate, specifically how the leadership of a church is to operate. And so we want to kind of pause now and take a look at this because this is a section of scripture, I think, that's either, again, been ignored or misunderstood and often used to hurt people. And so we want to understand really what was God's heart and desire behind all that so that we can live in the freedom and the glory of his design. So our passage that we're going to start with is Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 7 to 12. And we're going to camp out in this passage for a number of weeks here. So let me read to you, beginning in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended his himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have a plan for all of us. You have a plan for how the church is to function, is to operate. And, and I pray, Father, that, again, that this isn't just more information, that that really what we discover is we see your heart, we see your power, we see your strength, but most of all, we see your life. And, and we're encouraged by that father to join the adventure that you've planned for us. And that's what we're most excited about. So Lord, speak through me as I'm trusting you as best I know how. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage here we're about to look at is is one of the lists. There there are three main lists. I think there's five in total, but three main lists that talk about the gifts of the spirit, or gifts from the spirit. And, and so I want to kind of spend some time talking about those three main lists a little bit because each list is a little bit different. And I think that's not been well understood. I think what, I, what I've seen happen is they see these lists of the, the gifts of the Spirit and, and they kind of saw each list as being in, impartial or, or incomplete, sorry, a partial list. And so basically what they've tried to do is they take all the lists and kind of put it together to make one giant list. But there's differences in each of those lists. So let's kind of take a look at them in in a little bit more detail. The first one I want you to look at is in Romans chapter 12. So in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says here, beginning in verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body. So there's that idea again, right? This many members but one body. The unity but still having the diversity. And all the members do not have the same function. They're not all expected to operate the same way. So we, who are many, diversity, are one body, unity, in Christ. And individually, members of one another. Hopefully you see the point he's making. He's made it multiple times here. But he goes, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Now that word for gifts there, the the Greek word is charisma. And that's going to be important later on, right? But that charisma meaning, essentially, it's divine empowerment. It's the divine strength. And so he says, we've been given this gift, this divine empowerment, this charisma, and each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And now he's going to list what those gifts are. So in verse 7, he says, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in serving, or he who teaches, in his teaching, or he who exhorts, in his exhortation." He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. See, what we see here are, are Paul listing off these seven gifts. So they're often referred to as the motivational gifts. You see, the best way to understand these gifts, I think, is to, is to recognize that when you and I, when we are born again, at that moment of salvation, right? The old you was crucified and buried and you were born again. You became a brand new creation. You're someone different. You were given a brand new heart. And that new heart includes new desires. In, in essence, if I could put it this way, you've been wired differently than the way you were before. And, and this list that Paul gives us here, it's not referring to natural talents. It's not referring to natural abilities. Instead, it's referring to this new wiring that God's given you. That there's something within you that each of us has been given, one of those seven, that, that we're just drawn towards. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't overlap, right? It doesn't mean that if you have one gift that you can't do any of the other six. No, of course you can participate. In fact, I I hope and pray that we're all doing a little bit of all of those things right? That, that the one who's serving is, is also the one who's exhorting. The one who's exhorting is also showing mercy. And the one who's showing mercy is also giving and, and so forth. And, and so each of those roles, each of those functions have a, a little bit of a different role to all that. And, and so what I want to do is, is I want to kind of give you an illustration that I think that will help us to identify maybe which one that you've been given. Because again, everyone's been given something a little bit different, right? So for me, my, my gifting is a teacher. And I know that because you can't stop me from teaching. It's just what I've been wired to do. It's what I've been programmed to do. But hopefully in this illustration, you're going to find what you've been kind of wired to do, what's unique about you. So the illustration that's been commonly used, is this one about a server, right? And so we're going to put up a slide here so you can see each of the seven uh, gifts thing there. And hopefully you can relate to it. But the server, he you know, walks into a restaurant and they got a, a, a tray full of food right it's got all kinds of wonderful pasta it's got some lasagna it's got some spaghetti and meatballs it's got uh some you know tetrazzini and, and carabana and 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 uh, oh this my, my favorite is just i don't even know has the name it's just this chicken and and penny noodles and an alfredo sauce with with mushrooms and peppers and onions and bacon lots of bacon and some garlic oh so good. Has nothing to do with the illustration, by the way. I just, I just wanted to talk about some good food, right? So waiter walks in, tray full of food, and, and then spills the tray and spills the food everywhere and over onto different people. Suddenly now, the people get drop, jump up and they start acting based on their motivations. So the prophet, their first response is to point out to the waiter what they did wrong, why the mistake happened, and then the person who does the serving immediately they just they just jump out of the chair and they start picking up the food and cleaning up the mess. And then the teacher they can't help it they just pull the server aside and say, well, you know if you held the tray at this angle or if you if you repositioned the, the plates on the tray, it wouldn't have happened in the first place. And, and then the the person who does the exhorting they come along and they encourage that waiter, try again. You know what? Everyone makes mistakes. It's okay, and and you can do the next time. And they encourage that person. And then the one who gives, they immediately pay for all the meals. And, and they're the one that, that um, maybe even pays for the dry cleaning of the mess. And then the person who's the leader, they, they are immediately, they're immediately, without being told, they're making sure everyone's organized. That the person is, one person's doing the mopping. Another person's doing the wiping down. Another person's making sure that more food is being prepared. And then the person with the gift of mercy, they're there, and they are just got their arm around the shoulder of the waiter and just letting them know that everything's going to be okay. They're still loved. And they're showing kindness to those people. Or, or maybe to the people who were hurt by the food that was spilled on them. See, each person has a different role. And, and individually, they're, they're good, but together, they're great. And so it's really helpful in that sense to begin to identify what is your gifting. And so, because you know, if you have the gift of exhortation, if that's how you're wired, where you just naturally wanting to encourage people, we need to know that, and and we need to to recognize that. And so, if you are, let us know that that's your gift. If you got that gift of mercy, let us know. If you got the gift the gift of giving, please let us know. I'm I'm kidding on that one, partly kidding. And and I say that because I think it's important to recognize that that we'll all get to give. One person has been given this natural gifting to to just generate money. And God's given them that, that gift, not for their own personal selfish gain, but so that they can now give and support other people. And and they just, they love to give. There's just something programmed in them to give. And, And so each person has a different motivation, a different desire. And when coming together, it's beautiful. And so again, there might be overlapping aspects to it but you have one primary motivation that begins to drive you. So that's Romans 12. That's that's the first passage on on the gifts that we, we, we see up here. The next one that shows up is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in verse 1, Paul writes to them, and he says this in verse 1. He says, Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of these spiritual gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware now, I highlighted gifts here on the slide here because that word gifts doesn't actually show up in the original translation, in the Greek. It was added there uh, by the translators. And, and if you have a good study Bible, chances are you'll see that, that it's highlighted because anytime you see a high, an ital- italicized word in a study Bible, it's a translator's wor- um, way of letting you know that it's not actually there, but they're adding it there for clarity. See, the word there for spiritual is actually pneumaticos. Isn't the Greek language great? I mean, what a great word that is, pneumatikos. And and it literally translates to spirituals. Again, that's different from the charisma that we saw in Romans. And so he's talking now not about these motivational giftings that we saw in Romans. Instead, he's going to talk about these expressions of Jesus, these expressions of Christ through us. And so he goes on to say in verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, right? So this, this expression, this manifestation, what's the spirit going to look like through a person? And it's all going to be towards the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom that, that's referring to this, this, um, ability to, to speak into someone's life when, when they're needing some guidance and they're needing some counsel. Here's, here's a way that you can, um, uh, come express the life of Jesus in a particular situation uh, and then to another the word of knowledge word of knowledge is meaning an understanding it's to understand a, a piece of scripture or understand a, a situation and what's happening uh, to another faith faith is the idea that basically you you capture you capture a vision or someone shares a vision with you and you just you have this sense and this belief that I know how to make it happen and and through the spirit, Christ living in you, you go and you, you make that happen. Healing, that one's pretty obvious. The, the effecting of miracles, that's, that's basically the miracles that don't involve the healing. He goes on to say prophecy. And we're going to spend some time in the next, in the next couple of weeks describing what prophecy is, so we'll comment on more of what that is later. Or distinguishing of spirits, to be able to discern, you know, is that of God or is that, is that of another spirit, of an evil spirit? The various kinds of, of tongues, to be able to speak in tongues. And then, equally important to that, the interpretation of that tongue that was spoken. Again, e- each of these gifts, they're, all, they're not talking about talents. They're all, not talking about natural abilities. They're talking about a specific moment, a specific event where the life of Jesus was expressed through you. And that's really important because I've heard so many messages where where people they just they take talents and they put a spiritual on it to try to use it as a motivation or manipulation to get people to serve. So they might come up to someone who's an accountant and say, "Well, you've been given the spiritual gift of accounting. Will you do the books for the church?" Or, "You've been given the spiritual gift of gardening. Can you take care of the lawn and the garden at the church?" Or, "You've got the spiritual gift of, you know, soundboards." Can you run the AV system at the church? I mean, it sounds ridiculous because it is ridiculous. That's not what those spiritual gifts were referring to by Paul. I mean, granted, we're all given natural abilities and talents, right? We, we've we just celebrated the, the beauty that we saw with Robin and Crystal and Deanne and Andrew and Joy for the worship team. And, and they were sharing their natural gifting and talents there. And, and I do believe it was spiritual in the sense it was the expression of Jesus through them. But it's not these, these pneumatico's that Paul's listing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's talking about unique expressions, especially when we get together as, as a body of Christ in a, in, a, in a gathering of Jesus being expressed through us, which means that we should celebrate and look for those times. We should be looking for words of prophecy. We should be looking for speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues and healing and effecting of miracles. Those are wonderful expressions and, and gifts that God wants to speak through us. All right, so we had Romans chapter 12. Let's kind of summarize. Romans chapter 12, charisma, those being those gifts, those motivational gifts that God's given to us. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, we had pneumaticos. And those pneumaticos are specific manifestations of the Spirit. Now in Ephesians 4, we're going to see another word. And the Greek word here is doria. And this word doria is now going to speak to uh, what I think or it was commonly referred to as the offices of the church, specific gifts of leaders within the church. And so basically, if you think about the church being a body, right, not all our hands, not all our feet, not all our, our MCLs and so forth. Well, not all are going to have specific roles within the church, Spec- specific leadership roles within the church. Now, these roles here, are going to include the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor teacher. We're going to to talk really briefly on each of those roles. But what I want you to understand is that these these roles are not about the title. I mean, if, if you're doing this to get the title apostle or prophet or evangelist or pastor teacher, then you're in for a lot of trouble. That's not what it's about. In fact, it doesn't matter if you have the title or not. If you've been given this gift, you will express it naturally. And that's all it is. That's what you're looking for, right? And so you don't need the title to in order to live out of that office, right? And, and so that's an important point that we need to make. Because the reality is if, if I needed that pastor title to be a pastor, I'm not going to be a very good pastor because now it's going to be all about me. So it's not about this title, In fact, sometimes what happens, people are given a title long before they're given that office. They're given that anointing before they get to really step into it. And so, for example, you think about David. David was anointed king years and years and years. I think about 16 years before he actually took on the title of king. But he was leading his men. He was living out that anointing long before he actually had the title. And you're going to see that with these people, is that they'll have this anointing. They'll have this power, this gifting to in them. and It'll be expressed through them. And, and you will see it being expressed. Now, it's important to understand here, I, I've listed the four. Some believe that there are five. If you ever hear someone talk about the five-fold ministry, they're refer, referring to this list in Ephesians. But it's actually four, not five. And I say that because pastor, teacher are one and one and the same, they're joined together. Because there's a definite article before the apostle, before the prophet, before the evangelist, and before pastor and teacher. So pastor, teacher are one and the same. Now, again, we're only going to cover it really briefly this morning because we're going to spend some more time in the weeks ahead. But let's start off first off with the apostle. Some would say that the apostle and the prophet, that the time of those has has ended at the end of the first century when when the the canon of scripture was complete. But I don't think that's the case. We're going to expand that more. The the role of the apostleship is still functioning together, or still functioning today, but it may be a little bit different than what we typically thought of as the apostle. But essentially, apostle is this. Apostles are those who create, those that are building, especially when it comes to culture. That's really what they're about. And so we have this gift of apostles that are creating and building culture within the body of Christ. And then you've got the the prophet. And the prophet is one that is speaking on behalf of God. It's a messenger of God, but specifically in order to encourage, to exhort, and to console. Here's a great summary of the role of of a prophet. A, A prophet's ultimate goal essentially is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. That yeah, great description. Again, we're going to expand on that in more. And then we have the evangelist. The evangelist is the, the bringer of good news, right? That's, that's what the evangelist is meant to do. It's meant to go and share the gospel with as many people as, as possible. And then you get the pastor teacher and, and the pastor teacher or sometimes called the elder or the overseer or the bishop, all the same office and role. The pastor teacher is, is meant to be a shepherd. That's what the word pastor literally means. And, and teacher, and the Greek word for teacher means, well, it means teacher. It's real simple, right? But that's essentially what they're meant to do. They're meant to shepherd and to teach the body of Christ. And so we see each of these four four roles, four offices. And again, we're going to take a deeper look at them. But the reason they exist, I want to kind of focus on this morning. Now, please understand, they don't exist so that, you know, people, some people feel better than others, they don't exist so you get a, a, you know, a nicer parking spot in the church parking lot. Uh, they don't exist so you get more honor at weddings or that you know, people get to have a title and so forth. That's not what, what the role of this, the, these four offices are. In fact, much more than having power, they have responsibility. Because each of them have a function to serve the body of Christ. That's what it is. So it's not that they go to the top, they go to the bottom in essence, right? Again, it's all about that unity. It's all about that equality that Jesus talked about. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. We're all equal in Christ. No one is greater than another. And that's what's so beautiful. But within that unity, there's diversity. And the diversity of these four functions are leading to one goal. And that one goal is told for us in Ephesians 4 and verse 12. And that goal, you know, he's given us as some as prophets, or some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Here's why. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. All right, let's understand this passage here. The equipping of the saints. The word there for equipping in Greek is the Greek word, from the Greek word katartismo. It's one of my all-time favorite Greek words. It really is. This, this word katartismo, it, the first time we see it is actually in one of the Gospels. And here in the Gospels, that Jesus is coming up to the disciples, and most of the disciples were fishermen. And there they were. They'd come in after a day of fishing, and they dropped off their fish, sold it to the markets. And now what they would do as fishermen, getting ready for the next day, they would always be there mending their nets. Or in the Greek word there is katartizoing their nets. So that's what that word katartizo means. It means to mend. It means to repair. It means to, to restore, to equip, to put in order. So you can kind of just picture there's the disciples there kind of sewing their net back together. Tying the knot back together. That what was ripped, what was torn, what was seemingly useless and broken and not working, they're putting right, putting it back together so we could function well. Isn't that a beautiful picture? See, this this world, this world will treat you like those nets in the ocean where they're getting cut up by rocks and and torn and shredded and and ripped up. Living in this world, we're gonna get hurt. We're gonna experience rejection and failure and pain and and shame is right there and the flesh is right there and, and we're just feeling like We're of no use. We're just ripped and broken, and you might as well just throw us out. And so then the leadership of the church comes together, and we get to cartotizo one another. We get to equip and mend and put us back together so that we get to function well. And so there's this equipping of the body of Christ, this putting together this this healing that takes place. And it's the equipping of the saints Notice now he's not talking about the equipping of the pastor or, or the, the clergy or the staff of a church. It's the equipping of all the saints, the whole body of Christ, the church. See, what we've done is, we've unfortunately, we've, we've taken the, the ministry of the church and we've made it for professionals, right? We have the professional Christian, the clergy, and the unprofessional, the laity. And it's now expected that the clergy would, would do the work and the laity would benefit from that work. I wish, in many ways, we'd throw out these terms, clergy and laity. I mean, it used to be that in order to qualify as clergy, you just had to read. That's how simple. That's a low standard. But but that's not what it's for. You see, the reality is the church is to do the service, not just a select few. It's not just because someone's being paid or on staff and so forth. That's not to say that there isn't a spot or a place for to pay someone. It's in order to dedicate more time and more energy. I mean, we do that with missionaries all the time, right? Where we say, listen, we don't want you to be having to have a full-time job. We want you to be able to go overseas and, and spend all your time sharing the gospel. And so there's a place for that. But please understand, just because you're not being paid, just because you're not a quote-unquote professional clergyman for that, All of us get to participate in the work that Jesus is doing. And and that to me is what's so exciting, right? Because what Jesus has done is he's inviting us all into this adventure. And so the leadership of the church is meant to equip, to put us all in right standing, those that are hurting, or teach those who are growing so that we could be equipped now as this ministry and the ministry being the building up of the body of Christ. Please understand, Jesus said to to Peter, I will build my church. He's saying, I'm taking responsibility for it. It's God's job. But guess who he uses? You and me. And that's what's so incredible. That's what's this adventure that we're on. And you know, I've been been thinking about this weekend in particular about about COVID and how COVID has caused great havoc, especially on churches. I mean, it's, it's caused havoc on our work life and our personal life and so forth. But, but I, in my own life, the one area that has the greatest impact has probably been on on church life because it's, it's restricted the ability for us to get together. It's why I'm speaking to a camera right now instead of being together at Chickabee Hills where we're, we're face-to-face and we get to encourage one another. And this week, I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I, I don't think we're ever going back to what we used to have. And, and maybe I'm late to the game. Maybe you kind of clued onto this earlier on, but, but I'm coming to the realization that at least in the, in the short term, and short term meaning the next couple years, we're not going to have what we used to have a year ago. And, and that's sad in some ways, but I'm also encouraged by it because what it does is it gets us to cause us to rethink church to rethink what is our role, what is our function, what is it meant to be. And what my hope is that what we'll see from all this is that now we're going to equip the church to be the church beyond Sunday morning. You see, at New Life, we wanted to be the church of, of Monday to Saturday. We wanted to get that right, knowing that that would take care of Sunday morning on its own. But what it means now is that we're going to have to be inventing new ways to experience the life, the community of grace, the community of the church when we can't gather together easily on a Sunday morning. Now that may begin to change in a couple months, but even then it's going to be different. And so what I want to encourage you guys is to realize that the onus of ministry is not on the professional clergyman, so to speak. It's not on those who are who are the the elders, although we are we have a a key role of leading, but it's leading to equip you as the body of Christ to carry out that ministry. and And so what that means is I think it's going to be more difficult now for new life as an organization to organize events, because to do so involves all kinds of restrictions and liabilities and so forth. But what's beautiful is, individuals get to do that and we had a great example of that last night i just saw it this morning i had no idea what was going on but that's what's so incredible is i don't need to know what's going on but what happened with the beavers is they organized a worship night invited some people into their backyard and they worshiped god together it was an unsanctioned new life event how dare you <laughs> beautiful awesome that they would do that and so you can do that in your house where you're going to invite some people over and maybe do a time of worship. Maybe do a time of Bible study. Maybe do something where you're just, how's everyone doing? Maybe you do it for a meal. Maybe you do it inside, you do it outside. However you feel comfortable doing it. But these are things that you get to do. And you don't need to run it by the leadership. And so we created that fellowship group, that, that community group on Facebook. And, and if you aren't a part of that yet, I encourage you, join that. And you can invite people. Or, or you can text them or phone them or email them or, or somehow invite people to come together and experience fellowship. And again, as leaders, it's our job to equip you and teach you as to what fellowship and community of grace looks like. But it's the body of Christ. It's all of our responsibility to experience that together. And that's the adventure Jesus is inviting us on. And, and beloved, listen, I don't know of a better adventure. I mean, I'm always up for adventure, but I don't know of a better adventure than what Jesus is saying, I planned this out before the foundations of the world for you and me to do together. And let's go love these people. Let's go encourage these people. Let's go express that, that unique charisma, that unique gifting that I've given to you. Be it prophecy, be it serving, be it teaching, be it um, uh, exhortation, be it giving, be it uh, mercy, be it faith, whatever it is, let that expression come forward through you. And, and you get to participate and experience something way beyond what Jesus has ever planned for. And so my hope is that, that really what can happen is that, yeah, church is going to be different, forever changed. But the new church, the post-COVID church, is going to be stronger and better than the world has ever seen. And that, I believe, is important, especially in this time. Because I think the stakes are getting higher. And the church is needed because the world is a dark place. We're seeing that in the tension and the anger. But what an opportunity for the life of Jesus to be expressed right now. Let me pray for us. Father, we're about to embark on a bit of a study here, a bit of a journey as we study and understand these offices of the church, understanding the role of the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor teacher. But, but Father, all of those roles, all those gifts to the body of Christ are there for one purpose, to cartatizo us, to repair, to mend, to put in order, to equip us, to build up one another, to share your message, to share your gospel, to invite not just those within the church, but even those outside the church to know and experience your love and your life within a fellowship, within a community. And Father, you've, you've got desires for all of us. I pray that you would reveal that to each of us, encourage each of us, and that we would be willing to step out in faith, trusting you to see it happen. Thank you, Lord Jesus for all that you've given us, and for all that you've done. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.